You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, as you know, Gail and I, yeah, we were away for oh, something like about six weeks in Europe. We had a wonderful time. The weather was terrible. Something like 35 degrees. We're so glad to be back here, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but it was a great time. Uh, we did have a bit of fun, but we also um, great catching up with family as well. That was uh, really good uh, for me in particular. We were also able to catch up with a few of our uh, global partners, our, our uh, global mission partners around the world too, so that was really nice as well. Um, right now we're in the middle of an eight-part series. We're looking at chapters 15 to 18 of the Gospel of Luke. And today we're particularly looking at this parable. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the sermon is entitled Wealth and Self-Deception. And um, um, we are systematically going through the Gospel of Luke. And we've been doing that for a few years now. We, uh, we expect to finish it next year. That'll be four years of uh, going through Luke. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Devon, he mentioned to me, you know, what is the good thing about going systematically through uh, the Bible? And, uh, and he said some nice things about that. Well, today, I'm here to tell you what the bad part of that is. And that is that I can't skip the difficult stuff that Jesus and the Bible says to us and uh, today we're going to need to face up to some difficult truths about life and about death so um, before we do that let's pray together our father help us as uh, we need your your help lord because our our ears don't always want to listen to what you've got to say to us because um well, we desperately need to hear you, and uh, we don't always like to hear the truth because we like things our own way. But the Bible is your word, and your word is truth. And uh, we know that we need to hear truth. Uh, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, after about uh, 37 years of marriage, um, one of the differences that I find between Gail and myself uh, is that you know when when she gets up in the morning, Gail you know goes to the bathroom, she washes her face, she does her hair, uh, she does her makeup, brushes her teeth, you know all that good stuff. And of course, I do the same thing myself. Well, maybe I shave rather than makeup. Who knows? But you know when Gail does it, she's always looking up at the mirror to uh, see exactly what she looks like. Checking how she looks and making the appropriate adjustments. Now, on the other hand, mate, I'm a man. I don't need to look at the mirror. I just shave. It's no problem at all. Of course, you know, if you do that, you're going to miss a few spots, aren't you? I mean, you can't get it exactly right if you can't actually see what you really look like. Well, Jesus here 
in this parable of the rich man Lazarus, he was talking directly to the Pharisees. And you see that in uh, Luke chapter 16 and verse 14, a little bit before our passage. It says there, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus. What had they heard? Well, as Pastor Devon told us a few couple of weeks back, uh, they were uh, uh, talking about the parable that Jesus had just mentioned to them. It was uh, the parable of the dishonest but very shrewd manager. You see, they loved money, these Pharisees. And uh, they wanted people to see their wealth. They wanted to people to know how incredibly better than them uh, they were because they, they equated uh, their wealth with, with godliness. Now, it's interesting because in our passage for today, actually, Jesus is not actually addressing wealth. That's not his big issue here. Because Jesus goes on after verse 14. In verse 15, he says, You're the ones who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what's exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You see, the Pharisees were people who, who only looked sideways. They looked at other people. They never looked upwards towards God. They were interested in how they looked in front of people and, and they were seeking to get the praise of men, the praise of women. That's what they were interested in. And you know, when we look for a people's praise, we often forget about God's wonderful gaze on our lives. Their idea of right and wrong was a man-made idea. They took scripture and they just bent it to fit what they wanted it to say. They they never wanted to see themselves in the way that God saw them. They really just deceived themselves. And unfortunately, because they were religious leaders, they were deceiving other people too. People see what we do, don't they? But God looks on the heart. He looks on the heart of every man and every woman. As it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. So Jesus shares this parable of the rich man and Lazarus to, to put a mirror right up in front of these Pharisees to show them how God sees them and what life looks like when you don't look up to God and what it's going to mean to these Pharisees. He's warning them and he's warning people like them. So let's have a look and see what we can learn from the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Let's start off by looking at... Um, 
what life looks like for the rich man and for Lazarus before they died in verses 19 to 21. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every single day. Wow. Feasting sumptuously every day. It sort of sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> he probably did this with his wealthy friends. I mean, who else would you do it with? Maybe his five brothers as well. I'm sure it wasn't with poor people anyway. Did this guy observe the Sabbath? Who knows? I don't expect he was into practicing much fasting, hey? I don't imagine so. You know, he wasn't just rich. He liked to show off his wealth. You see, purple, a purple dye was one of the most expensive expensive things you could get in that era it was absolutely priceless so it was it was reserved for royalty only and so we can see here that this man he just wanted everybody to see how wealthy he was he was a show-off he wanted people to see that he was a great person a wonderful person a wealthy 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 man you see his lifestyle was more important to him than anything else more important than God more important than God's word more important than a poor man that's for sure more important probably than his servants more important than anything else then it goes on in verses 20 21 and at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus was a guy who lived on the edge of starvation every day, every second. Some kind people would take him and place him in front of the rich man's gate, hoping every day, that the rich man would give him some, some crumbs that would just fall down from his great wealth to keep this guy, just to keep him alive. That's all. Crumbs that Lazarus desired, but it would seem crumbs that he never got or certainly never got enough of them anyway. Even the dogs licked his sores. Now, these aren't pet dogs. They didn't have pet dogs in those days. These are wild, feral animals. A greater contrast you will never get, would you? Total and absolute tragedy on one side and total and complete sumptuousness, as it refers to in the Bible, sumptuousness on the other. But the poor man, interestingly enough, the poor man has a name, Lazarus. Now, you wouldn't believe this, but he is actually the only character in all of Jesus' parables that Jesus gave a name to. Who? The poor man, Lazarus. That's incredible, isn't it? Imagine that. He's the only one. Now, the name Lazarus means God has helped. Well, there's no doubt that uh, for this man, Lazarus, People certainly didn't help him in his lifetime, did they? He's a man who depended on God. And now 
Now he's in heaven. Maybe I think, you know, our idea of help is probably very different to God's idea, isn't it? But we really see how deep the rich man's sin really is here because later on in the parable he calls Lazarus by name. Now it must take a really tough, a really hard conscious to know a person by their very name, to see them every single day, to have the ability to help them and just let them die. without offering a bit of help. And you know, it was exactly the same with Moses' teaching. I mean, the rich man knew what Moses and the prophet said. He knew that. But he just didn't care. Just like he didn't care for Lazarus. Well, you know, actually there's a lot of hard-up people on the streets of Melbourne, you know particularly in the city, right, right, right in front of my church, Cross Culture on Swanson Street. And I ask myself, you know, how many of them do I know by name? I'd be very happy to take you out for lunch, you know, get to know you a little bit more. But would I talk to a beggar on the street? Would I give them my time? Would I take an interest in them? You know, just talk to them, just, just to be friendly, not, not even give them anything, just to be kind and friendly to them. Actually, at our church, we've got a ministry which we call Street Family Chapel. And that's what they do. They provide a meal, sure, but more importantly than that, they, they provide friendship and they provide community to those people who are sleeping rough. In some ways, you know, just giving money to help a poor person is like, in our community, it's, it's like an easy way out, really. See, because it says God wants us to have a heart for people. How could we not have a heart for the poorest in our community? You know, what... What can I do for them? How can I have God's heart for the poor around me? What more could I do? What more could, could we do? A good question to ask, isn't it? Now, in uh, verses 22 to 23, we see the reality of what awaits us after death. The rich man and Lazarus, they both die. Something that happens to all of us. Death, you know, death is a great equaliser, isn't it, you know? Doesn't matter what your possessions are, doesn't matter what your status in life is. When you die, we are all the same before God. God's standards, you know, they are so different from ours, aren't they? Now we see here the stark reality that our choices that we make here on earth determines what happens to us after we die. And we can't change that in the afterlife. And there's only two realities. Heaven or hell. There's nothing in between. 
Verse 26 tells us this, you know. It says, there's a great chasm fixed so deep and so wide that no one could cross over it. It's like an unbridgeable chasm between heaven and hell. So if you're there, you stay there forever. You can never get out. And you know, as a pastor, that really, really scares me. I'm scared. Scared that I don't warn you enough about the truth of hell. The reality of it. You know, this is a very serious matter. It's a serious matter for all of us. All of us need to choose. All of us in our lives need to make a choice. A choice to follow Jesus before it's too late. And you know, it's not like this rich guy, it's not like he was the worst guy in the world. It's not like he was the greatest sinner on earth. I mean, he wasn't Hitler, wasn't a murderer, he wasn't a pedophile or something. He's just a man who just lived for himself. He didn't live for God, he lived for himself. That's all. He didn't worry about anything except all the good stuff that he could get out of life. He didn't think about eternity. Actually, it sounds like a lot of people today, doesn't it? Um, In other parts of the gospel, Jesus describes what hell is like. He calls it the outer darkness. The fury furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Hell is a place of torment that lasts forever. You know, hell is so bad that people don't want to believe in hell at all. And so, you know, rather than that, we'd like to believe other things instead. Uh, like universalism. Now, universalism is the idea that you know, a loving God would never send anybody to hell, would they? Uh, that there's some good in every person. And so you know, after some period of, of cleansing the soul, um, then God will let everybody go to heaven. And that sounds really, really nice, doesn't it? Everybody gets to heaven. Or people like to think about annihilation. This is the idea that that, um, God uh, will take unrepentant sinners and uh, let them suffer for a while. And then when the time is up, he will annihilate their soul rather than letting them suffer forever. Of course, that means that their soul is not immortal, so I'm not sure about that. Then you've got the idea of purgatory. Uh, This is one of the teachings of the Roman Catholic and also the Orthodox churches. It's when uh, a person who is already a believer dies. And unless they've reached some kind of moral perfection, which they call sainthood, then that person goes to this intermediate place. This is a place where they will suffer for their sins until all their sins have been purged from them. That's where we get the word purgatory. 
But there's still hell, of course, for unbelievers. Now, the problem with this teaching is that it comes from one of the apocryphal books called Second Maccabees. And, of course, uh, it also goes against other scriptural teaching, particularly the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So let me ask the very obvious question. Why on earth is there a hell? Let me give you four good reasons. First of all, Jesus said there is. The fact is that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And remember, Jesus loves you very much. So much that he was willing to die on the cross for you. So much that he wants to warn you about hell and the reality of it. As R.C. Sproul put it, the doctrine of eternal punishment in hell isn't pleasant. That's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? But you can't accept Jesus and reject hell. Because he taught it so plainly. He taught it so frequently. Now, secondly, the reason that there is a hell is because justice demands it. God says that there's a day of judgment where everyone will have to give an account of their life. And there'll be justice. You see, we don't... We as people don't really appreciate just how bad sin is to a holy God. God hates sin with an infinite hatred. We think, well, you know, everybody's sin, you know, it's no big deal. We just sort of, you know, wrap it around with sugar, sugar coat it, you know. We, we say, I repent. But do we really mean it? Do we really repent? And forgiveness, you know, we take forgiveness so much for granted, don't we? Oh yes, God will forgive me. We don't appreciate how how truly offensive sin is to a holy God. We don't take sin seriously, nor its consequences. Thirdly, you know, while God loves us, The fact is we don't all love God. Not everyone accepts God's love that God freely offers to everyone. You know, God doesn't force himself on people. Hell is a free choice where people choose. They choose to be separated from God because they don't accept God's love. And lastly, our sin leads us to hell. I mean, it's the reason for the cross. If our sins don't deserve hell, then what on earth did Jesus die for on the cross? To save us from what exactly? He saves us because he wants to live in relationship with us. Rather than us living away from him, because that is hell when we are not living with God. 
Now, my third and uh, final point from the passage is, what am I going to do about it? Verses 24 to 31. Now, I want you to look here at the rich man. After he dies, he doesn't change at all. He's in hell, you know, and he sees Lazarus in heaven. How does he react to all that? He sees where life has taken him. Does he repent or something? Does he apologise even to Lazarus for the way that he treated him during his life? Treated him so badly? No, no, not at all. Does he say, hey, good on you, Lazarus. You had life a lot tougher than me and you were faithful to God, but I wasn't. No, no, it doesn't say that. Actually, he doesn't say a single thing to Lazarus. Doesn't look at him, doesn't pay any attention to him, just ignores him like he did in his life. Goes straight to Abraham and what does he do? What does he ask Abraham? Abraham, send Lazarus to provide me with a moment's comfort, with a moment's relief. You know, as if Lazarus was some kind of lackey just waiting there to serve him. Yes, let's, let's take Lazarus. Let's take him away from heaven. Uh, let's get him to cross this impossible chasm. Let's let him brave the fire of hell just to serve me, the rich man. The one who let this poor man starve to death in the first place. You know, this just really shows us how hard and unrepentant this man really was. But the rich man does uh, become concerned about his five brothers and he asks Abraham, he says, send Lazarus to warn my five brothers about the reality of hell. Because he says, you know, if you send someone, someone comes back from the dead, then my brothers, then they'll listen. Then my five brothers will believe. Then they'll change. We love the spectacular, don't we? You know, lots of people have said something like that to me. If God would just come down in front of me right now, then I'll believe. No, you won't. You see, Jesus performed tons of miracles in front of thousands of people in his lifetime. But how many of them were there at the cross? How many believed because of Jesus' miracles? Now, the greatest proof of God is in God's word itself. God speaking to us. And in particular, the word made flesh in Jesus. The rich man was in hell because he refused to believe Moses and the prophets. Not because he was rich. Doesn't matter if he was a rich man or a poor man. What actually mattered was the fact that he refused to listen to Moses and the prophets. He refused to listen to God. He was self-centred, he was self-indulgent, but that just really reflected the fact that he'd rejected God in his life. Now listen, I want you to do something for me. When you get, in the, when you get up in the morning, 
Go to the bathroom. It's always a good idea. (laughs) And when you go to the bathroom, I want you to look up. Look up at the mirror. You see, that mirror is the word of God. And that mirror is going to give you a true reflection of what you look like before a holy God. It's going to show just you know how unclean and how dirty and how filthy we really are. And then I want you to put your hands in that basin of water. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you wash with the cross, then some of that dirt is going to come off. And then you'll be clean. You see, the cross is the only thing that can make us clean before a holy God. Every morning, when you look up at that mirror, I want you to remember that. And you know, when you get out of that bathroom, I want you to grab your Bible and and read it and, and pray and listen to God in your life. Ask God, how does he see you? How do you really look before a holy God? God will give you an honest answer. And remember the cross. Ask Jesus to change you. To change your unforgiving spirit. To change your uncaring heart. Because only he, only the cross can do that. Only the cross can change us on the inside. And you know, ask God to to give you his heart for people. Because we know where they're going. We know people are going to hell without Jesus. May this parable really pierce our hearts and give us an, an undying concern for other people. May it weigh heavily on us because we are Christians and we know the truth. We know where people are going when they die. We know they're going to hell without Christ. And after this life, it's too late then. We want them to have the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we just thank you at this moment for your wonderful word uh, which cuts through our hearts, cuts through the haze of our life and uh, sometimes the the wrong thinking that we have. Help us to get the right perspective, to bring our lives into focus on what's really important. And uh, Lord, if we... um, live apart from you, then life is just a fantasy. It's just an empty dream. So help us, Jesus, to understand this and for all of us here today to really devote ourselves wholly and completely to Jesus. Help us to begin with your word each day and to see ourselves, Lord, as you see us and to tell other people the truth, your truth, about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for them too. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.